Join us as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. Okay, so enough of Drowning Pool parodies. We got Tony of Flix X-Ray Podcast. How's it going? His dog Stark isn't here, but he is. So, boom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we got Chris Mounts. Moshi Moshi. The number one Svengoolie fan. <laughs> we got the nightmare nerd himself, Daniel Ryan. However you say greetings, horror fanatics, and elvish. Uh, is there a book for Elvish? I thought Probably it was... Probably somewhere, yes. Well, uh, I will become familiar with it the day I become familiar with Klingon, so... Kerplak! Captain Kerplak! Alright. So, talking about a very special dude, and part of just our how we pick a lot of these actors, just find a lot of just easily likable, charismatic people who got a bunch of movies that most likely a lot of people have probably seen. And this was a pretty easy to come by actor, even with some of his atypical kind of picks. So we are talking about none other than the actor who is Danish American Viggo Mortensen. And so uh, the, First timer goes first. Uh, Tony, what was your introduction to this diverse actor? Well, obviously, it's Lord of the Rings. Okay. <laughs> that's probably where I got started, but that's not the movie I like him the most in. So, Well, no, that's fine. And uh, we, we don't stay, stick too long with franchises because, you know, we, we've done it before. We're just like, okay, we're going to talk about an actor, but just in case someone's not a fan of that action or horror or superhero role that they're in you know we still got plenty of others we can talk about and i was just fortunate enough that he's done like so many things everyone's kind of probably seen him in that there's so much to choose from um right so yeah i was 12 and i definitely saw lord of the rings first but it didn't take long that you know i was all just a perfect murder and <laughs> gi jane were on tnt every fucking day so i Saw those plenty, and then I guess the one where I really saw that he had so much appeal. Like, I knew he was in plenty of other B-movies. Like, I re-saw American Yakuza for this, and it was way better than I remember it. But I think the one that really made me realize, yeah, he's more than just an awesome king who has a sword. You know, he, uh, Crimson Tide, when I saw him as, like, the executive officer who has to choose whether or not he wants to give the code to two warring, you know, commanders. It was like, okay. He, he could definitely do gray area kind of characters who aren't sure 
what orders to follow. He can play. He's he's not typecast as a jerk or a tool. He's just a guy who has a, can add a few different layers to no matter how big the part is. So, uh, Chris, uh, when did you become a fan of Vigo? Uh, I think I'm a little older than you guys. So uh, 95 was the year for me, and I don't remember if it was uh, – Crimson Tide, I went to see in the theater with my grandfather and my cousin, or if it was nice. um, The Prophecy with Ooh. my parents, because we were big into walking at the time. Uh, Pulp, year just, Pulp Fiction had just come out the year before, so it was one <laughs> of those two. It's but yeah. Are, I know Crimson Tide came out first, so maybe if you saw it in the theater, maybe you saw that first and then you saw Prophecy, but no, good, both good picks, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we had two well, two theaters in town. We had a first-run theater and then a, another first-run theater uh, across the highway in the next town over. And then downtown, the old theater in the heart of the city was a second-run theater. So Damn. they showed things a couple months later for cheaper. So it could have been either one. I can't oh, okay. tell you for sure. Okay, let's see. It was... Prophecy came out in September, and Crimson Tide was – that was May. So, yeah, no telling. <laughs> yeah, those those are great roles. I mean, the, like you said, the Crimson Tide where he plays – I think he was the uh, – Denzel Washington was the XO, and uh, Hackman was the – commanding officer the sub yeah my bad and, he was the lieutenant <laughs> yeah he was the weapons officer in charge of launching the nukes so he was the man in the middle had to choose between between the two and he was a small role he's not the main character but he's you see that he's a dependable guy other members of the crew you know think he's a stand-up guy and he's being pulled in two directions and where his loyalty lies yeah, it's a great movie, especially if you go back for some of the lesser-known actors at the time. I mean, you, you have people like Steve Zahn, Matt Craven, Rocky Carroll, years before NCIS, <laughs> uh, around the same time as Chicago Hope, and then James Gandolfini, you know, and it's like they all get a lot to do with their roles. George DeZunda, you know, <laughs> years after Law & Order, so there you go. It's just like that if you watch the extended cut, it even gives them more to do. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm a Navy brat. My my uncle uh, was on the sub base down in South Carolina before that closed, and uh, Quentin Tarantino actually went over the script and added some lines and yeah, and uh, that's where you get the Jack Kirby stuff from with Denzel Mickey going Mouse. over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that that's awesome. Um, and I mean. Just the way he even postured and even cursed in that movie just felt so natural while everyone else is kind of playing to the camera. He kind of really just kind of is kind of the audience's conscience in a way, which is weird because he's the guy who can either choose to give them the new code or not. And he's just kind of just like in fail safe mode. He's like, you do realize, sir, once we do this, there's no going back. <laughs> I think that's just his level of acting because I don't think I've, I've seen anything where Vigo's in where Vigo doesn't commit hard to the yeah. role. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm just kind of, kind of just the first observation, but yeah, very much so. It's just like, uh, it, if he's not a conscience, he's at least a different perspective 
that is like you can't even put that on paper that's just above the paper that's just so he might as well be a supernatural genie he's just that super um yeah um and daniel uh so when did you start giving a hoot about the vigo well undoubtedly like so many my first real realization of who this guy was was lord of the rings you know that's easily his defining role and for good reasons the work of a lifetime He's actually my favorite character in that whole thing. Yep. So he, <laughs> yeah, he's phenomenal in that. He really was born for that role. But he, here in the role of the king. <laughs> yeah, he, he he's one of those types where he had actually done so much that I had seen and I never realized it. I never made that connection. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. That's why it's like the question was when did you first recognize him? And it was like, oh, it was definitely Lord of the Rings. And but then after that, it's like, oh, he's in all this other great shit. Be, be, yeah. Being, you know, being the nightmare nerd, I can't tell you how much I marked out to realize he was in Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rolled as that hitchhiker, and you know, seeing that again after Lord of the Rings, I just literally paused it and said, "Vigo, <laughs> what are you doing here?" Vigo, <laughs> yes. I really kind of enjoy that one as an because it's like an action horror uh, mystery. It's like three different genres all piled together and just trying to make everyone happy while at the same time it's you know, you know that that's one case where you say how he commits, he does. But there were several moments in that one where I really feel you saw him kind of glancing at the camera and he was struggling not to laugh. I think so. I think you can't blame him on that because I mean. <laughs> Just the titles of those movies alone is like, okay, I am doing a lowbrow, you know, exploitation movie, but you know, someone's going to see it. <laughs> it's what New Line Cinema does. So, um, so I had no idea his first role was technically Woody Allen's The Purple Rose of Kiero, but that got all his scenes got deleted and he wasn't mm-hmm. credited. So, <laughs> uh, I, well, okay, I, it's a good movie, but. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if those deleted scenes are uh, as a special feature or not. I always vaguely recalled him in Witness, but so that's as close as he got to Harrison Ford. And I think that's interesting because didn't you guys kind of always get kind of that similar kind of vibe from him? Like being a Harrison Ford type, I guess. I think he's the new Harrison Ford. Yeah, if not, because you can't replace William Defoe, so you got to be the new Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he'd be, he's, he's very charismatic, even though... Even if he might not say a lot, but he kind of he's identifiable, kind of like a like a working everyman kind of guy, but still with a lot of charisma. Yeah. And growing up, I mean, I just always heard various things about him from various people. And I remember my my mother's, uh, you know, she did journalism and editing. So she I think it was House and Home. And then there was like some other like uh for single moms uh, or parents, one of those other things. And then she briefly worked at uh, one of the other star telegrams and then just hung up that part of her career. But I know she eventually came across like articles of actors and one of them was Vigo. And she's like, do you realize he does painting, but he doesn't sell any of them. And I'm like, yeah. And I had always vaguely seen like an IMDb that his paintings were in some movies he had done. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense to me. Cause you know, I had done artwork and I'm like, yeah, there's going to be times where it's like, I just want to keep that. I don't want to sell it or <laughs> have it even it necessarily even have anyone see it. <laughs> and so I kind of respect that whole kind of private artiste of him. And at the same time, I mean, I've seen actors use parallels to painting to describe their work. And it's like, it's very much it. He is a painter and he decides how meticulous he wants to be about it. <laughs> he, you know what? I think Vigo is the closest thing to like one of those, uh, 
most interesting men. Because it's the like most the dude... interesting men in the world. Well, no, don't he's... Save the he's... <laughs> he speaks what four languages fluently, as well as like knows how to speak so many other languages on top of that. He uh yeah, has like some poet. German. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've you never know? heard anyone bitch about any of his uh accents. I've always heard that he went the extra mile to do that homework because he just knew, hey, someone's gonna complain and I don't want it to cloud my career. <laughs> right. And then even then it's like um I know on my old iTunes account, because I don't use iTunes anymore, because, <laughs> uh, I had I'd purchased his jazz stuff too, because he's a jazz musician. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Okay. He's I a pretty good jazz musician too. Like, damn. He's one of those guys. I know he did sing in yeah Lord of the Rings, but yeah, no, that's awesome. So, wait, which of the ones did you get? Did you get more of his recent stuff or? <laughs> Again, it was my old iTunes account. I can't remember. <laughs> okay, I just know I had it. I had it, and I haven't transferred it over to anything because iTunes sucks now. I mean, iTunes is great. Rate everyone on iTunes. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, I pretty much all I do is just I I use that I I stream music, but I don't buy it. <laughs> yeah, no one does nowadays. Yeah. And that's just that when there's so many other options, I can understand why people are using Google or just Spotify YouTube. or whatever. Yeah. 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 Spotify, just share it. Cause you're not going to buy it. Um, so I kind of like how he's just, I saw a recent article with him about a few months back. It was an older one, but I think it was around 2016 when he was just doing the award campaign. And he, I think this is why I respect him even more. I've never heard about it being a prima donna or heard about him being pretty laid back. It's like, just focus on you, stay in your zone. I'm like, I like that. I've never heard any director complain about not getting anything from him or any actor saying I can't approach him. He's impossible to work with. It's like, no, or vice versa. You know, he's cool, but only in certain times, you know, it's like, no, I've always heard he is just a cool dude. And I, I liked it even more when he saw how he's just an I think we can all relate to this. He's anti-elitism. So he hated absolutely how when he had a table reserved for him, and he's like, but why aren't all these other people who are friends and other people who aren't invited to the same table? And they're like, because they didn't win this or nominate that. And he's like, that's bullshit. They deserve the same treatment. <laughs> Even if they're not award winners. So it's like, I think that's just kind of cool too, how he he's an equal rights dude. He doesn't, believe in all this you know favoritism mm -hmm. and so he was at i think he i can't remember if he just gave up that seat or just had someone else sit at it just to make a point <laughs> but that's awesome <laughs> well i think that's why he picks some of his roles because it's like especially since lord of the rings i think he made so much money from lord of the rings like he didn't have to keep he didn't have to work if he didn't want to so he's yeah. at a point now where he's like oh i can just do what i want because like if you even look at some of his more recent stuff, like the green book or uh, captain fantastic, I love both those films, but yeah. his character in those, it's like, he obviously chose to play that part. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and we'll circle around to those too. Cause I mean, like, like exactly like you say, he essentially uh, just, uh, yeah, he has the freedom, but he also just, uh, uh, he, won't do it if he doesn't believe in it in some way. He doesn't believe in horning himself out. He also doesn't believe in just 
I mean, he doesn't do the whole social media thing. He he knows how anything can backfire. And he's just like, I, I seem to recall, much like Keanu Reeves, reporters would just leave him alone. They're like, he's just too normal. We don't <laughs> can't ask him anything. <laughs> it's like that's exactly it. I, I'm not gonna. He's boring. He's well, boring. yeah. I'm not going to answer loaded questions. <laughs> and if I answer a question, I'm just going to give you a simple <laughs> thing. I'm not going to be, you know, part of the tabloid thing. So I do recall him as the Amish guy in witness. And then the second mm-hmm. role was as a police detective on Miami vice. I don't know if anyone ever saw that episode. I think it was like season three or four. Not my week. sorry. No. I didn't suck it. <laughs> but that's why I do it for six. Okay. All good. We'll, we'll watch it another time. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, so, yeah, yeah, go go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> go, go, go ahead, whoever was talking. Sorry, I had a... I was saying excuse me because I belched. Oh, okay. I didn't hear that. <laughs> uh, so, did anyone see this episode? or? Can't I don't think that. any of us saw it now. Yeah, I think it's a brief role, like in the background. I can't remember if that's the same episode where Bruce Willis is a terrorist or some shit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he picked a lot of atypical kind of stuff back then, even with the B-movies. Like, they were the atypical kind, like... Uh, I take it, Chris, you've seen Rennie Harlan's prison. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, like I was about to say, he was in uh, some uh, low-budget horror movies, Prison, uh, Leatherface, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3, yeah. and uh, The Reflecting Skin, which is a really underseen vampire movie, which yeah. everybody should check out. Uh, absolutely, it's a very emotional movie. Even when it ends so abruptly, you have so much to just like soak in. It's like, so who... Were they witches? Were they vampires? Was everyone just a hypocrite? You know, <laughs> was the kid the cause of it all, or was Vigo's character Seth, who was returning from the war, kind of what started up? Is it? It's a just another just town just torn apart by violence, you know. <laughs> and uh, I, Daniel, you watch a lot of westerns. Did you ever see Young Guns Two, where he's like the head of the massacre squad? Um, I've seen Young Guns 2 not in a good long time. And again, you know, until I saw him in Lord of the Rings, I had not made that connection. Oh, good. Uh, Fresh which, Horses. Which is insane because he's got a very iconic chin. <laughs> yes, and puts it to good use there. I guess that was like maybe the fifth or sixth role I finally saw him in. But yeah, uh, Tripwire is another cool YouTube movie. It's co-written by William Lustig, a maniac cop fame, and just as a fun just... Terrorist David Warner is pursued by Terrence Knox of, you know, Tour of Duty and St. Elsewhere fame. Just a nonstop fun movie. And what's fun about the YouTube upload is it has a bunch of other upcoming attractions by Sintel Films. I was like, that, so that was fun to watch, too. But because it had trailers for similar stuff that Lustig had done, like Relentless. And so this one was fun because, yeah, Vigo got to play one of the terrorist henchmen and there were a bunch of other people like Marco Rodriguez from Cobra and... Yafit Kato from Alien and Homicide. So it's just a fun, just nonstop B-pitcher that's 
above average in terms of how exciting and uh, atypical it is. Um, and then he got to be, so yeah, the the eighty late eighties and early nineties, he was nonstop busy. And I guess out of all those I saw, I guess I thought he was in this one with uh, Molly Ringwald and a then unknown, a then unknown Ben Stiller called Fresh Horses, and that was just kind of a. Okay, someone's ringing. Uh, that's me. Sorry. Anyway, yeah, that was kind of a at ho hum coming of age movie. Kind of wish there could have been a little something more to it. So he works with actor turned director Sean Penn on the movie The Indian Runner. And I don't know if anyone ever saw that. I like that movie, actually. It's a pretty good one. Yeah, because, I mean, they're basically he and David Moore's just two different brothers with two totally different stories. And I call that part of the Sean Penn uh rebellious trilogy because then you know he did the crossing guard and that other movie both with jack nicholson and they both have the same exact kind of you know premise you know <laughs> where it just two it almost forms of life yeah <laughs> it almost felt with like that one that sean penn did the first one and didn't quite tell the story he wanted to and then did it again it's almost like the uh the evil dead thing where it's like the second one's pretty much <laughs> yeah <laughs> This is the director's cut. <laughs> the first was a extended short film, and now this is a more ready for you know theatrical release one. Yeah, but I mean this one goes by real fast, and I mean it doesn't really rely on the acting. It's kind of wild because I mean yeah, Vigo you don't really expect it. Kind of only foreshadows his work with Cronenberg because here he's a guy he's kind of you know rebounding, trying to keep out of fights with the law, and then you know he. But he's not above violence, you know, so he does run into stuff like that. He basically beats the uh, bartender, Dennis Hopper, to death at the end. Just like he gets sick of everyone's shit. He's a rebel. And, you know, Morris is his brother who's, you know, become a deputy. So it becomes even more just a gray area. (laughs) Should I bring him in or should I give him a pass? (laughs) He's kind of drawn to those kind of roles. Yeah, it's kind of wild that way, and it's like, I can't even see anyone else playing that role. I mean, obviously, Sean Penn could have probably played it, (laughs) but, I mean, maybe even Robert Duvall or some other actor who was big at that time, but yeah, I I mean, even David Morse just brought something to it that no one else would have probably brought to the good old boy detective or deputy. (laughs) And so then, yeah, once again, 93 is a big-ass year. Then he's in this movie called Deception, also known as Rudy Caro, and it's a pretty boring kidnapping movie with Liam Neeson and Andy McDowell. Don't watch it, <laughs> but unless it's a part of one of those Mill Creek DVD packs. But perhaps you guys might know him as one of the guys who uh, Pacino hassles in Carlito's way. Hmm. They took all my money. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> and then in that same year, he's also in then-unknown CSI filmmaker Danny Cannon's The Young Americans. You'll watch this movie, and you'll instantly realize this is totally why Cannon was chosen to do CSI by Bruckheimer, because he had the noir look. But it's even wackier, because this time, Vigo is like a supporting drug lord, as opposed to... But this time, yeah, but this time... Yeah, but this time he's the opposing bad guy, as opposed to, you know, the guy, the criminal who's being picked on. <laughs> 
and when he gets like shotgunned to death by the other guys, you can is like, yeah, he had it coming. <laughs> Did any of you guys see any of those? Or... Uh, I'd seen a um, the Young Americans a while back, but I haven't seen it in such a long time that it's like, oh yeah, he was in that, wasn't he? <laughs> I also knew he was in Boiling Point, but it took years later for me to like rewatch it and see. Oh, that's right, that's who he was. He was Din- once again. He's with Dennis Hopper, but this time he's playing his right hand man. <laughs> and that was kind of a fun cat and mouse kind of movie for Wesley Snipes because that movie is also very noirish, <laughs> very atypical. Of what was the main point? I think primarily the uh, the Vanishing Point remake. Yeah, ninety seven made for Fox TV and. So many people gave that one shit. I'm like, okay, so it's... Well, got in honesty, it should, because <laughs> the original Vanishing Point is one of the greatest car movies ever made. That's a masterpiece, yeah. Yeah, I know. I just, just I mean, it was watchable. I just remember seeing people say it was unwatchable. I'm like, eh, I've seen worse. <laughs> but yeah, you, you Just because you've ahead. seen worse doesn't make it any less unwatchable. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't find it unwatchable, but yeah, no, fair enough. It's got nothing on the original 70s movie. I just I just thought it was a decent time killer. <laughs> He's really the like thing that Van- The remake of Vanishing Point, the problem with it is it's not so bad that it becomes good. It's just so bad. Like, you know how, like, sometimes you're watching something, you're like, oh, man, this is so terrible. It's amazing. It doesn't quite hit that, like, it doesn't get over that hill. Yeah. I guess my issue was I found it just average, so I did I. Uh, typically, what I think is just bad is just like just where, uh, for lack of a better word, like where someone just can't shoot any scenes coherently, or I can't make out any dialogue because the boom mic is out of you know turned off, or you know what I mean, like student film level quality. <laughs> Well, the problem with you know remaking a great movie is you're you're always doing an uphill battle trying to outdo the original. It just like uh, he was in the remake of Psycho a couple of years after that, and oh uh, yeah, now now that is bad in every sense of the word. Yeah, he, yeah, he's perfectly <laughs> fine in that. I mean, I think that's you know besides uh, if, if somebody really needs to see Vince Vaughn jerking off or. Uh, <laughs> or uh, Vigo's butt because he's Sam the boyfriend in that. Other than that, there's not really much to see at the you know out of that movie. Now, so that that I will give you. Now he fortunately avoids most of these just remakes, but yeah, those are like the only two he did back to back. And I, I'll give you the Psycho one because it's like I always forget it's out there, and then each time I remember it's like oh yeah, it's just I mean I love Gus Van Sant, but like I just. From beginning to end, just everything is out of whack for me. I just don't buy any of the acting. I love Julianne Moore to death, but I don't know what she's going for with her character in that. And so that's an example where it's just I when it's just disorientingly confusing and editing and I my attention wanders because I don't know what I should be paying attention to. Well, Vanishing Point is like that was just a lazy TV movie. So I was like, okay, yeah, it's mediocre on its own terms, but. And it's hated by fans of the original. <laughs> so, uh, now, did anyone see a better one that he did called American Yakuza? <laughs> also from around 93, 94. Now, that one I've not seen. 
so long story short, that was just kind of another just kind of narc getting too close to going undercover. But instead of just being the billionth point break type movie, it was kind of more of a how should I say it? It was just kind of more just he becomes accepted by this Yakuza guy for saving his life. So then he feels in debt to him by being his personal bodyguard, even when the FBI blows his cover. <laughs> you also got Michael Nori from the hidden and flash dance as a fun Italian mobster who starts the gang war up with those guys. And that's fun to see him being a bigot. <laughs> yeah. I remember enjoying that. I saw that on VHS, but I haven't watched it in like not 20 years. So yeah, it's on Tubi now. So <laughs> awesome. You can watch that in the sequel in name only. That also has the same Japanese guy. Uh, then he's in this dead calm type indie film called The Crew. And that was another one. It's got a lot of bad reviews. I only, this used to come on like the CW before it was that as like a afternoon movie of the week. And uh, I saw it again and didn't remember much about it. This time I saw it. And I actually kind of had fun sitting through it. It's weird. It's weird as fuck. But <laughs> it's, it's kind of, how should I describe it? It kind of has that same vein as all those other kind of 90s uh, indie films where it's like a part, you can't put it in just one genre. It's kind of both a mystery movie and an adventure movie and a dramedy. Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a weird little one, but that, that's the one with Jeremy Sisto and uh, yeah. Don Logue, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember the... seeing that, but it, it, it's it, like you said it was kind of weird it didn't really all kind of come together so it kind of didn't really land with me yeah no i mean it definitely didn't land with me the first few times this time i guess because i'm just so used to atypical creative b movies i was like i had fun but there's a reason this was only on the festivals and then on the tv video uh vhs circuit <laughs> it's just no one knew how to market it because it's just weird so <laughs> But yeah, Jeremy Sisto has fun playing the uh, the bad guy question mark because yeah, Vigo by Act Two kind of becomes the bad guy. <laughs> he goes from being this rich guy who's actually technically the biggest douchebag out of all of them. <laughs> oh, Donald Logue kind of stole the show. Uh, so then we got Floundering, and I saw that's another abstract indie kind of movie where just this guy is going around L.A. kind of. You got James LaGrosse of Phantasm 2, and he's just like, he's kind of being driven crazy by all the L.A. riots. <laughs> and he has all these weird hallucinations and other things that just feel like a, a bunch of different SNL skits edited together. <laughs> and I looked everywhere in the movie, and I'm convinced that the homeless guy is actually Viggo Mortensen in the end credits when they got they're scrolling and they're having a bunch of people dancing around together and it's a weird montage. I'm like, yeah, that's probably him in there because I didn't see anyone else who resembled him. <laughs> uh, so I couldn't find a copy of the gospel according to Harry, but apparently that was a religious epic he was a part of that you can find on DVD somewhere. I found clips so not much like uh, Angelina Jolie and Antonio Banderas. This is the third person we're covering on here who their biggest year appears to be in 95 where they got like six movies back to back and five or six. But yeah, uh, he had Gimlet. Couldn't find the whole thing, but it's apparently a weird voyeuristic hostage thriller from Spain. And I saw clips of it on YouTube and I didn't understand it, but <laughs> it was like a non-gory giallo film with a bunch of classical music playing <laughs> up the goes alley yeah totally talked about 
Crimson Tide. Then he reunited with the Reflecting Skin director, Philip Ridley, for another weird drama called The Passion of Darkling Noon, and he did that with Ashley Judd and Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Pretty mummy, Brendan Fraser. Oh, yeah. Anyone ever see that weird one? <laughs> I saw it once. That's with the, the cult, right? And It's kind of like an art film kind of mystery thing. I guess it's a cult movie, yeah. I mean, they call it psychological horror. I just thought it was just a fantasy drama. <laughs> but it made the Daily Telegraph's list of the 50 most underrated films of all time, so there you go. Oh. I don't get it, but I didn't regret watching it. <laughs> it's just weird. Oh, that's something. Then he did a movie called Black Velvet Pantsuit, which appears to have never been released, but he was playing a junkie, so... <laughs> Never released? How does it make on the list then? Oh, I see what you mean. It's on. It's on his IMDb. Is all I'm saying. But yeah, I just I just pulled that up. I'm like, what? Because I hadn't even looked into it. I'm like, I don't even recognize this. He apparently did it with William Butler, who he worked, who was in Texas Chainsaw Free as Ryan. So there you go. And Leslie Jordan. Oh my lord. It'd be funny if Leslie, they did a remake of Will and Grace. <laughs> Grace <laughs> and Leslie's Leslie. playing Will. It was like, wasn't I already on that other fucking version of the show? <laughs> but yeah, uh, I know my pal Cloyce definitely is like his version of Lucifer and the prophecy is like the best version of Lucifer he's seen. That's something though. Who is the best version of Lucifer? Is it Vigo or is it? Yeah, he shows up near the yeah. end of that movie and he just he just steals the whole scene. He's got that great line, I'll, I'll, I'll tear you open and I'll I'll fill your mouth with your mother's feces. It's just like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. And Daniel, uh, you were going to say something, sorry. <laughs> uh, not really, no. Okay, I heard someone trying to talk in the background. Uh, Tony, were you trying to say something? Or... No, I'm still looking into black velvet pantsuit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, someone was moving around in the background, but yeah. Yeah, like Chris said, it's just like that. Just is such an iconic line. <laughs> it's like Walken is doing his best mysterious aura, and Vigo is just blunt. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> putting it out there. Um, uh, much like, I mean, this is by the same guys who did the Highlander movies. So I mean, he's basically the uh, the Kragen, you know, <laughs> the Kragen. Bergen, yeah. <laughs> He's Clancy Brown. So. Burn out. Fade away. <laughs> now, those sequels definitely go off the rails real quick, but that, that first movie was great. Like I said, uh, that was when uh, Walken just was, you know, really hot, just coming off of Pulp Fiction, and he, he does creepy really well. I'm playing uh, the Archangel Gabriel. He's super creepy, and then you got... Uh, Elias Coteus, you know, Casey Jones from Ninja Turtles as the <laughs> detective hunting him. There you go. And, uh, yeah, Vigo shows up near the end as Lucifer and... A and, little near the middle, but yeah. Or, yeah, cl- middle to near end, and then, so, you know, <laughs> says he's weighing in in this war between the angels, and uh, not because he wants, you know, to help humanity, he calls them talking monkeys, and... Uh, <laughs> just just because he doesn't want uh, Christopher Walken to succeed and create a second hell. So he doesn't want the competition. He doesn't really care about humanity or offending God or anything like that. Exactly. He's he's like, he's a purist, but he's also, I don't know if hypocrite is the right word. He's pretty much, 
if he's got to take out the trash or violate one of his principles just to get rid of someone he hates, he'll do it. <laughs> it's kind of vague about why he's around there, but basically he's got a he's hunting down, yeah, uh, the archangel Gabriel, and he's at the same time. He's like, you better get out of my way, <laughs> otherwise I'll kill you too. Yeah, um, and he's not in makeup or anything. He's just yeah. a slicked black, slicked back hair, trimmed beard, a uh, dark suit. It's just the power of his charisma, his performance, and he's like plucking a flower, and it's kind of like love me not, love you know, love me, love me not. Kind of <laughs> why, why he, he was kicked out of hell and kind of you know telling this little story, and then he just eats the 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 bud after he's picked all the the petals off the flower for no reason. Literally eats eats part of the flower. I've had never seen it anything like it since like Little Shop of Horrors. Where <laughs> Dick Miller eats a flower. It's just bizarre, but it's beautiful. <laughs> Someone was having too much fun. <laughs> yeah, you don't know if that was in the script or not. <laughs> and to make it even weirder, like it's just funny how, um, more or less, it's it's just I don't know why it's just hysterical seeing how he can what's the right word for it so i saw this make various villains uh like on fan sites in studio cities which would cover actors who had played a bunch of villains and his lucifer i remember was on there <laughs> he was like the only person on the site who didn't have as many villain roles and yet had a bunch of good ones so it was like uh like you say it's like uh, he, he he just was an abnormal which is exactly what that role needed so anyone else kind of would have played it kind of smooth or something like you wouldn't have gotten this not to shit on him, but you wouldn't have gotten the same thing that you might've gone with someone around that same time, like Sean Bean or Alan Rickman <laughs> that you got with him. So, yeah. And it's hard to out top walking in that role because walking is, you know, being a super creepy, he's, you know, he's an angel too, and he's very menacing. So, being able to upstage or outshine and and be this scary unknown element in this battle, that's that's a hard thing to pull off, and that's all oh, I could all do. to his credit. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Oh man. So then, after a lot of this other stuff, we go to the Kevin Spacey cringe, uh, <laughs> uh, Dog Day Afternoon style mystery hostage thriller albino alligator. <laughs> that That's Matt, a weird movie. It really is. It's got Matt Dillon, Gary Sinise, and William Fitchner in psycho mode. Just all choices. Yeah, just in robbery mode. They've taken over this one diner. They got a hostage negotiator, Joe Mantagno, who's very confused by this whole thing. And then it's just so funny how uh, Vigo is just this other customer who's just. Who is this bizarre businessman? You don't know what he's hiding, if he's an inside guy or what, <laughs> but he's like some other kind of low-life criminal, and <laughs> uh, and he's in the thick of it. It's just so funny. He has just like a that's as graphic as the movie gets. Is he gets tortured, he gets like his fingers broken or sliced off, and so he's just like, I'm not who you think I am. <laughs> hey, you know what's funny about uh, Albano Alligator? It's directed by Kevin Spacey, and it feels like this was, like, a something that he negotiated in a contract. Like, I'll do all these movies for you, Miramax, but I want to direct. 
right. they were like, here you go, that. sure, I guess we'll fund one direction piece for you. And like that's what that's what Alabama Alligator feels like when you watch it. You're like, this 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 was just given to Kevin Spacey because he wanted it. Yeah. It even makes you wonder, was he supposed to star in it and then he just got spoiled and he didn't want to or something? Because with some I find it to be fun, but it's not easy to recommend because it is kind of, again, much like some of these earlier movies Vigo did, they do kind of have that post Jim Jarmusch Tarantino kind of feel where you either like it or you really hate it or you just go, man, <laughs> well, what is this? And so, like you say, I mean, it does make you wonder, is like, was he supposed to, did, was he just going to town just saying, I'm going to get virtually every actor who I hear is a damn good actor and put him in the movie, or is it more elected just on the back burner and it finally got made but under different circumstances so yeah <laughs> i got nothing else to add but if anyone else does go ahead <laughs> well the one that i gotta say i think is probably his best work i'm gonna probably get a lot of criticism for this was a walk on the moon oh good i saw it again recently it's it's definitely chicks will dig it guys will yeah, like hit it. <laughs> you kind of got to be into soaps, I guess, but uh, I think he did do a damn good job in it. Oh, yeah. I mean, everyone in casted in this movie just was perfect for that kind of abstract kind of just coming-of-age drama. <laughs> and he had a brief part in a Jane Campion's uh, Portrait of a Lady, as well as playing a idiot who gets a bunch of people killed in probably his second worst movie of all time called Daylight. But, I mean... Seeing him do this back-to-back with G.I. Jane in A Perfect Murder, I think by that point, everyone knew he was a reliable character actor who's just star, just still hadn't broken through yet. <laughs> but was soon going to. Yeah, yeah. And did anyone ever see 28 Days? I resaw it for this episode. It's the weirdest part of the 28 Days like trilogy. I don't, get it. <laughs> it does, I don't see how it fits in with the other two, but like you know, I guess... Third time I've seen that meme and joke face. <laughs> That's so true, though. It's like, Fox, what were you thinking? <laughs> You're making them. Oh, actually, my bad. Sony, but still. <laughs> it's like, it does make you wonder how many people just know if movie buffs like us are going to remember other good or bad movies that have a similar name. <laughs> and so, like you say, it's like, it's the most atypical. Sandra Bullock role because for the most part she was kind of you know still hee hee you know playing around and this one is like I feel like this is like meant to be a St. Elsewhere spinoff <laughs> journalist lands up in a rehab center with a bunch of other weirdos <laughs> I just the entire time I was waiting for the zombie apocalypse and it just never happened I don't get it <laughs> every day of my life every day of my life oh yeah Vigo was good in it but uh, the script is kind of singular, as we're all hinting at, and it's just like, it's pretty much the performances that make that movie. <laughs> Otherwise, it is what it is. So yeah, with Lord of the Rings, he owned as Aragorn, also known as Strider, and I mean, I saw the movies first, then read the books, and I like them both, but I, prior to that, before seeing the movie, I'd only seen read The Hobbit, so I knew about the Duna Dane Rangers and all that shit, so it was easier for me to get in the movie, but I mean, just going into it cold, the minute he shows up on screen, you don't, he kind of, you you wonder if he's going to be actually the, 
guy who's seduced by madness and evil versus, you know, <laughs> Boromir, who's Sean Bean's character. So it is interesting how the the movie kind of plays on that briefly. It's like, who who's going to go to the dark side? I, I honestly cannot think of anyone else who could have played that character. He really was born for it. Yeah, I mean, he just kind of had to be more natural, and yet he kind of was able to show on easiness where he's like, should I give up? Am I too loyal to this cause? You know? <laughs> yeah, I remember just he's looking so disappointed at everybody else when they're just going their separate ways. It's like, come on, I can't be the only guy running the show here. <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys play D&D, but we all know someone who thinks themselves to be Aragon in a D&D campaign. <laughs> like, this is like Hell to the King, baby. <laughs> um, something I've said uh, in the horror community, well, the Stephen King community more than once, I don't know if he'd be for it today, but if you could possibly bring Lord of the Rings Zero Viga Mortens into the present, he'd be Roland Shane in the Lord of the Rings. Uh, not Lord of the Rings, uh, the Dark Tower, sorry. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never read the books, but I just see the awful movies. So, <laughs> well, yeah, that's why they're awful. They don't have the right <laughs> casting, and yeah. apparently didn't even follow much of the story. So it's like I was confused. Take, take, take Aragorn as he is through most of the movies, covered in mud, you know, long stringy hair, and put him in a cowboy outfit, a duster, and a cowboy hat with six shooters. Picture that. All right, perfect. So, just wait twenty years, and then we'll do it. Oh. <laughs> uh. So then he once again wore a cowboy hat, and this time it was in Haldalgo, with which reunites him with his John, uh, his Young Guns uh, writer. Did anyone ever see that in the theater on home video? Didn't see it in theaters. I saw it on TV. It was kind of a slow burn for me. I didn't love it, but I I did kind of like how it kind of had an Indiana Jones kind of flair to it. Yeah, well, it was not it was not great, not terrible. I enjoy Hildalgo. It's an it's an adventure movie you can toss in the background and ignore. It fills the silence, so you don't have to be alone with your thoughts, all right? I try not to be silent. <laughs> we know. I have a soft spot for it. I, I saw it in the theater, and it's it's one of the uh, last real attempts at, like, a... An honest to god epic adventure movie. I mean, it's it, surreal. <laughs> it, it doesn't all completely uh, land, but yeah, I think no. he really put his heart into it. And uh, it's one of the last good roles for Omar Sharif is in there. And uh, there's a lot, lot if you like are into adventure kind of action movies, old school. Pretty much it. But uh, what you guys are pretty much all hinting at is like basically, I guess you could say they could have done. They could have redone the first 20 minutes and made it a little more involving as opposed to him. Because, I mean, he I think he was was he already familiar with horses off screen? Yeah, he'd done Lord of the yeah. Rings. <laughs> I, I, I know. I know. Yeah. But before before that, before that, like, yeah, he owns a, a horse ranch. So that so there you go. OK, so in fact, uh, he after um, any movie, you see him where he has a horse. After the movie's done, he buys the horse. No. <laughs> okay, mm. awesome. True. So yeah, he's... so he owns, like, his horse. He bought the horse that he rode in uh, The Lord of the Rings. He bought the horse that he used in Hildago. He he's owns all his horses. Okay, perfect. So He's a horse girl, all right? <laughs> oh, perfect. So that, that whispering, that's all natural. No acting. <laughs> 
No, the first like part. Said, he's one of those guys. He's like that, uh, you know, Mr. Interesting. Well, and the reason I didn't bring up Lord of the Rings is because a lot of those horses are CGI, so I didn't, <laughs> it didn't cross my mind. So I, yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, like you guys say, I mean, it's basically was that post where everything was trying to be like the Mummy and Indiana Jones, and like you say, it's just those movies were underperforming, so they stopped making a bunch of them until you know, unless they have like a superhero actor in them. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, let's talk about the mobster film, A History of Violence. <laughs> you know, th this is one that I think it's not one of his better projects. It could have been a lot better. The plot was just a bit too convoluted. Really? Oh, oh damn. Yeah. Okay. I, I was blown away by this because it's just another just person destroyed by the media after doing the right thing. And yet just because they had a secondary life, it's all come out of the shadows and as a result it's just threatening him with more violence i've never you know, read the graphic novel i meant to watch it sorry go ahead <laughs> i was gonna say it's funny that you think it was too complicated i think that's actually why i like it is because so many movies like we just bitched about hildago being too simple but then you get something that's more complicated and it's like i i kind of like it for that like it does take on that next level uh complication in the plot yeah i mean I think it ends some people call the ending a little too safe. I think it ends just right because any more would have been just way too much. I, I don't want to see his wife fuming at him saying, you did what you killed people and all that. It's like, <laughs> no, no. By that point, the movie is no longer enjoyable. I like how he has to kind of just, he's got complications. Like just remember the scene where his kids at school beating people up and he's like, why you blast people in our front yard. And he's just like, well, I was saving you, you know, <laughs> what the fuck? And so, should yeah, I, I mean, not a blast of them. Should I let them kill you? Right. Grateful brat. <laughs> and I mean, Ed Harris is a total scene still and William Hurt. Then he get like some award nominations for that. But yeah, Cronenberg is crazy. How is this not an action movie? This is totally an action crime movie. It can be both. Yeah, but I think that's what what, what sells it is you can believe that he is the mild-mannered, everyday person, but you can also believe that he's kind of a secret badass, that he's got this past. And he, he always plays tortured well, so, you know, you can you can empathize him you know, with him. You know, he just wanted to walk away, start a new life, start over, and he's dragged back in because of this incident, you know? Yeah, I mean, because everything is just brisk and quick, it doesn't feel over choreographed like an actual action movie and apparently it was meant for Harrison Ford. And I've seen critics in the past say this feels like a Schwarzenegger's Harrison Ford movie done more naturally. And it's like, that's totally it. It's, it could have easily been, cause that's just it based on who you cast. Basically that, you know, if the actor is a bigger than life, a lister, then yeah, they're going to add their two cents and it becomes a totally different product along the way. But yeah, it's like Cronenberg, you know, horror fantasy drama guy you know, from Canada, making a movie that is very much a new age noir. And like you say, just no easy answers. And it's good how it just ends when it ends, because otherwise it get even more convoluted and you just scratch your head and feel half complete. So it's like, yeah, it's just, it is a history of violence. <laughs> yeah. And a bit of a trivia. I was talking to Gary Hill of Cinema Beef and uh, shout out <laughs> beautiful man subscribe to that podcast 
but uh, he did he didn't know when I told him that uh, this is one of the last major studio films to get a VHS release. After that, yep. they all switched over to DVD. So yeah, pretty historical. Is like uh, I think yeah, that was the set. much like Star Wars Free was like the last. Just, uh, that that didn't even get a VHS release. And so it's like, yeah, 05 was a big year for movies. And like, <laughs> yeah, for this to be the last VHS copy is like, man, that is historical, isn't it? <laughs> oh, um, so I wouldn't expect anyone to have seen the epic Alatristi, but that was another fun, uh, you know, epic swashbuckler. And he's still basically in Lord of the Rings mode, but it's just so awesome seeing him speak, you know, native Spanish. <laughs> can't say i saw that one no it, it it's hard to track down but it's definitely a good one well and he's well, fluent in spanish because he lived in argentina for a long time right right yeah and just just like a quarter of that and everything so it's like yeah he he was perfect for that <laughs> haven't done a, we we skipped over another one i forgot he did called uh, Pistolola of Mi Hermano, which, you know, means my brother's gun, which was kind of a similar one where he's just, you know, speaking Spanish and uh, he knows how to just do just natural whether he's, again, leading a bunch of armies or just being an everyday kind of guy who's got an atypical family. And yeah, this is very much that where you just see him returning back to Spain and uh, in some cases even algeria so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that when the time comes but yeah i mean then he reunited with cronenberg for eastern promises and mm-hmm. this this movie took me a few viewings to like just because i don't know it just felt like that one had a lot of slow build-up and i don't know i get bored when i see gangsters doing too much of what you've seen in every other gangster movie i kind of want a little something atypical you know what i mean so once you get past that you really do get a lot of fun mystery and then, much like American Yakuza, you realize, oh, he's not the guy everyone else thought he was. <laughs> to not. I love Eastern Promises. Uh, I actually like it better than most gangster movies. It's one of my favorites. I guess. But, I, I just feel like uh, the Armin character just kind of goes into cliche Scarface mode after a while. But I know what you mean. It does. It's also a mystery. It's like, who took this baby and who did it belong to and do we even trust this guy? <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely, like I said, it's one of my favorite gangster movies. I'm not a fan of, I don't like gangster movies and I don't like westerns. Westerns <laughs> where I live. Um, okay. I gotcha. Uh, I literally live in a place where right now we have a big rodeo stampede and everyone's wearing cowboy hats. Uh, I hate it. It's garbage. <laughs> but <laughs> it's enough, one that's of those... Why I- why i don't watch king of the hill i'm like i know dipshits like that (laughs) seriously why i can't stand western movies but like eastern promises i feel like it's an elevated it's not a gangster movie while being a gangster movie just because it's got like that great mystery plot going on i'm also a sucker for cronenberg so that's me scanners all the way you know i think that's just it yeah and i mean it's by the writer of dirty pretty things and bunch of other movies and i guess you could say like you say this is just a stronger movie just because it's kind of just showing the european underworld and while also just kind of how do i say it 
it's in London, but it's also just showing how no one is even who we think they are, really. This is like, like, it's so wild how the main Don, also known as the dad, is beating up his son, you know, Vincent Castle's character, because he thinks he's responsible for this, uh, a bunch of other stuff gone wrong. He's like, no, daddy, I didn't do it. <laughs> and just showing daddy, you how, no. Yeah, and he's like, but that's just it. He thinks he's in charge of everything, when really he's just a spoiled, you know, little shit who... <laughs> answers to his dad <laughs> no but i think that's part of what's what's the good part of, uh, of this movie it's what makes it different is a bit of a slow burn if you're like like an action kind of gangstery movie then it might not be for you but kind of is a character study and a deep dive and at that time not a lot of people were doing uh the russian mafia you know very well deep dive into the culture the tattoos the code of conduct um Right. I live, lived overseas in Russia and Kazakhstan for a little bit, and uh, Russian mobsters are <laughs> are the real deal. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, especially at that time, you know, the late '90s, early 2000s, they were uh, moving out of Europe with all of this uh, stolen money and setting up um, new networks of influence. And uh, uh, and I feel like in the last couple of years. You know, we can't do certain types of portrayals of ethnic gangs. So, like, it's become either, you know, terrorist or default Russian mobsters. Yeah, Those yeah. Are okay to do. But this takes this, the subject, a, it's a little more, goes deeper into that whole Yeah, especially uh, trafficking world. and just other just taboo objects. Like, I mean, they're homophobes. And so they're just like, hey, we need you to prove you're not gay or something. You got to screw this whore to death it's like jesus <laughs> so you got a bunch of other just kind of proving the loyalty and like you say it's not about turf wars or anything it's pretty much about who answers to who and are they you know uh and not even about being macho i, I guess you could say it's about just you know what makes them tick and uh, I, I guess you could say no one else would have touched it because they would have just, again, just done the billionth Godfather knockoff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's real interesting, and, and uh, people should delve more into that because there's a lot of material to mine from that because uh, the Russian mafia are, you know, they call themselves the thieves' world. They've been around for hundreds of years, and, you know, Russia was one of the last absolute monarchies and the secret police did not fuck around and they went after those guys and that's why they had to be so violent and secretive and then even when the communists took over then they were still persecuted and then during yeah. world war ii they actually the government tried to cut a deal with the russian mafia and there was kind of like a civil war between the mafia there were the the old old school thieves world mobsters who part of their tradition is you never, ever cooperate with the government. You never rat on anybody. It's just us, no matter we ride or die to the end. And there was a group that worked with them to carry out attacks and smuggle goods, you know, behind enemy lines and make deals for stuff they need. And they called them the sukas, which are literally the Russian word for bitches. So, <laughs> Jesus. So they, there you go. Yeah. yeah, they're they are hardcore and they're an interesting group and they they are still around and uh yeah, they're still dangerous and connected to a few things. It's just like you say, they're not anywhere close to 
what we thought about in the 80s and communists where it's like they're just they stick out like a sore thumb you can tell they're Russian and it's like no they're pretty secretive and I mean yeah the Sicilians have the whole don't snitch you know slit your wrist before you ever testify against those who you swore to <laughs> you're, you're Shruta and uh, yeah with Russia it's like yeah <laughs> even more secretive and <laughs> you get uh, your word your word is your bond and I guess that's what separates it from other kind of atypical kind of mobster stuff. Cause uh, like Tony was saying is like that genre has been become a easy to joke about thing because there's just so much garbage of it out there and it's so hard to find the good ones. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, so then he worked with Ed Harris on the Western Appaloosa. I remember seeing this it's probably one of the few Westerns I, yeah, it was definitely one of the final Westerns I saw with my grandmother. <laughs> before she passed away and this was i dug this one because it was just kind of interesting just seeing ed harris do both a tribute to high noon you know free to the yuma type stuff while also kind of voicing his own thing did anyone ever check this out yeah i saw it it was i thought it was good for a modern western yeah yeah because you got uh, troublesome rancher jeremy irons and you just they're waiting for him to just try and make a move on the town and when he gets to that point where he's trying to buy the town basically and then, then he once again he steps out of line and so once again <laughs> they're like great now we got a reason to invite him to a gunfight <laughs> the good for nothing <laughs> and yeah renee zellweger was in it lance hendricks had a brief role and that was kind of fun so i think he and ed harris go way back <laughs> appearing in a few different movies together so anyone not my jam sorry like i said don't like questions not, so not, not it. <laughs> <laughs> all good i mean we'll just never forgive you it took me years to watch even just some of those spaghetti westerns because it's like you got to be in the mood for it and there's some good ones and then there's other ones where it's like yeah no matter they're just the douchebag cowboy but i know what you mean where it's like some of them are just too predictable and some of them are great but uh now good was another one that kind of flew under the map where he's just playing a german who's observing the holocaust and i thought that had a pretty cool cast and kind of a sleeper film it's apparently based on a broadway play <laughs> missed that one i okay. didn't hear anything good about it just a slow burn if you don't see it you might not miss much but still a good historical movie but yeah and then he follows it up with the road which based on the saddest book of all time by Colbert Parker. here's what we think about his relationship like believe him as a dad and you know post-apocalypse western kind of it's not... i love the road yeah okay cool. it is fucked and i love it because John Hillco just seems to kind of understand, like he, I guess a right word, he doesn't do westerns, he does neo westerns, where it's like, it, it's got cowboys, but it's not really a western. It's just kind of a, just showing kind of a, just a bunch of people sworn to crime and everything. I mean, he's done movies like The Proposition with Guy Pearce, Lawless, with, which is about gangsters and Prohibition era, and then Triple Nine, which is basically a modern day cops and robbers movie. So. It made sense for me why he did this movie because basically it's like here's what would happen if you you know a father and a son lose everything and essentially just have to 
I mean, I, I love the part where it's like they're raiding a house or something, and there's like some other crazy people in there, and uh, the kid is just crying, and he's like, "Get out! Follow me! Stop it!" You know, he just like tells him to just flat out just stop crying. <laughs> he's just like, "I got, I got. You got to walk with me the rest of the way. I'm here with you until I die. You don't got to worry about anything." <laughs> He's just a dad trying to protect his kid. Yeah. God. God. <laughs> no, I thought it was a good adaptation. I, I read the book. I like Cormac McCarthy. He kind of gets heat sometimes because he's kind of uh, unrelenting, kind of a dark art author. And uh, some people say he's misogynistic. Some people criticize the way he writes. He does a lot of run-on sentences. But uh, he, he's very Western-inspired, very pulp-inspired kind of – um, just just bleak kind of man's man kind of author, and uh, I think this uh, adaptation kind of gets that vibe real good. Yeah, I mean, bleak is a good way to put it. Because I mean, that's kind of just the tone it needed to just make it stand out, like you say. <laughs> so. And for an apocalyptic movie, it's the bleakness is what I think does well for it. You know, I think it's what was missing in uh, Book of Eli, for example, which is another post-apocalyptic movie that came out roughly around the same time. I think The Road hits a much darker tone, and I don't think, I don't think anyone could have nailed it like Vigo did. Yeah, Book of Eli is kind of just more of a action spectacle, and this one is just kind of more of an adventure, like you say, with some. T- take away the post-apocalypse, it's still this. You know, he might as well just be a homeless man in the future. You know, who's Again, just protecting his kid because he he pretty much he doesn't ever stop being a dad. He's like, okay, so the setting has changed, the our usual daily habits have all gone to shit, but I'm still here. I'm still breathing for now, you know, until I get killed by one of the savages or you know die of old age. I'm still here, <laughs> just doing the best I can as a dad, man. <laughs> Just come on, man. Come on. Okay, so third entry with Cronenberg, The Dangerous Method. He played Sigmund Freud. <laughs> you want to rebut it with this one? It's kind of a period piece drama. See how you like it or hate it. <laughs> it's not bad. It's not. It's a little different for both for Cronenberg, but like, it's not a bad one. I just think freud is overrated so you know yeah freud is definitely disturbing when you're like oh <laughs> man <laughs> what dark views <laughs> you know and research you've had to do lately my friend i found it watchable i i can't fully recommend it because even though the acting's good is this kind of i just didn't feel like it brought anything really new to the table and i just after following their first two very strong you know collaborations i was kind of like yeah, I think this would have been better as a short film. <laughs> uh, but so 2012 and 2014, he is working nonstop. He did the he has a very small row role in On the Road, which is basically just a tribute to road movies. As much as I like road movies. You mean Jack Kerouac, right? It's a tribute to Jack Kerouac. Yeah. <laughs> OK, I. I never read the novel. All, all I know is just a lot of people were talking about it. Kind of had some homages to Easy Rider, and I saw a bit of that in there. 
sorry, I didn't know the source material. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. I was going to say, like, this is one of the very few movies where I actually enjoy Kristen Stewart, but other than that, (laughs) and Vigo's such a small role in it that it's, I think he did it because he just wanted to be a part of it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, Garrett Hedlund's in there. Alicia Braga had one brief role. Haven't worked with her on set. It's kind of cool to see her always getting roles. But uh, I think we were going to talk about it in the Bashimi episode. And Daniel, do you or anyone, do you guys know who he played? He played like a salesman, but I don't remember that scene at all. <laughs> Hello. Hello. I'm still here. I don't know if anyone else is. It looks like uh, someone's on mute. Okay. Well, <laughs> a little too quiet here, guys. <laughs> so, I mean... Sorry, I had to step away a second. Okay. Uh, How dare. Anyway, do you remember which role Bashimi played, Tony? I don't. Uh... He played a salesman, but I don't recall that scene at all in the movie. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this, and I think it's because uh, the movie jumps around so much. I remember, like, Amy Adams' bit. I remember Kirsten Dunst's bit. I remember, like, I remember Vigo's bit. And, like, but there's so many, so many little scenes in this that it's just, like, keeping track of some of them are kind of hard. <laughs> well, I did get that it was about the beatniks type thing, but that's the other thing. Everyone acts like it was just the 50s. It's like, no, that kind of played into the 60s and other stuff. You know, that's hippies. But, yeah, Um I watched this on a lazy day and I was just kind of like, okay, it looks good, but I'm not really invested in anyone, but that's kind of just how road movies go. You know, you either enjoy the ride or you don't. And it made sense why they all did this though. Cause it was kind of just a, it wasn't a big studio movie. It was just kind of a, just produced by Coppola. So. Yeah, it's it's a it's a fun watch. Um, it's an interesting one, but it's also, yeah. Uh, I think it's a watch it once. Don't go back and dwell on it too much. <laughs> there we go. So, had a brief part in that, and then he had this other Argentina film where he was in a dual role. <laughs> that was kind of fun. <laughs> and just wondering what happened to his twin brother <laughs> just getting mixed up in the crime underworld <laughs> I can't fully recommend it it's an either like it or hate it but definitely worth seeing him just be in the same scenes just playing two totally different twin brothers <laughs> Brent Spiner Syndrome <laughs> I guess that's what you could say isn't now, that like that Nick Cage one adaptation or whatever uh, I'd well you want to go there i guess so i mean i i can't really even compare it to even those because i mean like this one was just like it just felt more natural as opposed to you know anytime else you see it in a movie it's just so obvious that they're not they're the same height they're against a blue screen or something like this one i couldn't tell that they were in the same room and for all i know it was two different people it's just that he played both characters very differently the editing was great on that one. Oh, totally. Uh, it, it's it's really well put together. It's one of those ones where you can tell the person who was making it wanted to make it. It wasn't made for money or for anything like that. 
I think that's why I also really enjoy um, more so Cronenberg stuff is because, you know, uh, I haven't seen a lot of the stuff that uh, the director and writer of this have made. Uh, Anna Pit- Pitterbarg is her name. Yeah. I'm and I, I'm not familiar with her stuff either, but like watching uh, Everybody Has a Plan because I've seen it, you can tell that this was something that she really, really wanted to do. This was hers. It's a babby. Totally. And more or less, I mean, uh, it, it comes on a bunch of the Spanish, you know, uh, telenovela channels. And I think it was a big hit in that country. I know it from yeah, Toronto. <laughs> but yeah, um, she announced she was going to do a black and white experimental film to it about a playwright descending into paranoia who's haunted by a Krampus. So. I think she's definitely someone to be on the lookout for. She's an up-and-comer. Yeah. She's a mover, a shaker. A shaker. Shaker, baby. <laughs> okay. Oh, and speak of the devil. Apparently that came out. Yeah, that came out in 2017, apparently. <laughs> Not in any streaming I know of, but okay. Cool. So then, yeah, he did the... He played a con artist against another con artist in the movie The Two Faces of January. And this one had been on my to-see list for quite a while. And then when I finally saw it, I, I wasn't let down. I'm sure many noir fans won't even bother with it because it has that exact same kind of plot of just a heist gone wrong that doesn't even involve a bank robbery, just involving just, you know, people going under different aliases and personal betrayal and eventually getting into a love triangle. <laughs> This not been on my short list for a while, but unfortunately, it's not on any of the streaming services here, so... Yeah, you gotta hunt it down, and if you can find it for, like, at one of those, like, movie trading company type places for, like, five bucks, that might be the best way to go, but, yeah. Uh, I would have thought critics wouldn't have been really into this, but surprisingly, they did enjoy this. It was like, some of them were even going so far as to call it Hitchcock. I'm like, well, it is, but it's also just kind of an old school kind of black and white type mystery that isn't in black and white. And I mean, it's by the author of the talented Mr. Ripley. So you instantly know, you know, this is pretty psychological. <laughs> I've never read the book, but I might have to after this one. Uh, so then he did the historical drama Jaga. Again, just was kind of just a man growing up in the 1880s, just, Argentina Western. The movie kind of loses me after a while, midway through, and not in a bad way. It's just kind of just don't go to this for the stars, even though he's the featured star. It's just kind of just more of a just people wandering around and uh, just trying to pick up a few things at the farms and uh, just getting into other just kind of turf kind of conflicts. It's not really even a Western, really. It, you could call it a Western. It's just kind of a period drama. It's like, this is what people did in the 1880s where they had to uh, just, you know, uh, just get along on various places. <laughs> well, this is during um, Vigo living down in Argentina, right? I think so. Yeah. So that's why I did these. <laughs> and, it's an 
it's just a very natural movie. I recommend more so this movie that's on Tubi called Far From Men, which is, again, the set in Algeria. And it's just a very easygoing French movie, which just talks about, again, just the colonial wars. And he plays a teacher who poses, who's an ex-soldier. He poses as a soldier because he's been, like, assigned to, like, bring uh, this fugitive in. And he kind of just notices how this guy has a lot of fight in him. And he's like, if you really believe for this, if you really want to die for this, then you should just keep standing up for this. And he kind of just makes the fugitive gain some stones again. And, you know, this really isn't a spoiler because it kind of hints at it, but he has to figure out whether he's just going to let the guy get away or if he's just going to bring him in, even though he totally disagrees with how, you know, the French soldiers are carrying out their mission and how they're just such tools. They will massacre at will, you know? So just a gentle take on war crimes and uh, just that period as a whole, just kind of commentating on it. So that's not a line I ever heard, thought I'd hear a gentle take on war crimes. Well, <laughs> because, because it doesn't show it. It's more just, okay. So I'll word it better for you. It's it, gentle may not be the word, but it is definitely just kind of a a more of an easygoing debate piece, as opposed to just a angry, angry kind of movie where we're just seeing nonstop gore and just kind of getting all these distorted viewpoints. It it's very organized, it's very laid back, as opposed to you know gritty and you know gruesome, blunt. It's kind of more just Philip. It's it's as gentle as reading the book, The Art of War. I'm sorry. That's that's <laughs> how that's how it's the best. If you watch the movie, you will see. You will know exactly what I'm talking about. But yeah, it's on Tubi and definitely a winner from Vigo. And I can totally see why he took this movie. This is talking about some very important themes. So let's go back into award-winning territory with Captain Fantastic. <laughs> All right, I rewatched this one today because uh, I love this film. <laughs> and knowing that we were going to be doing this tonight, I was like, I'm going to rewatch it because this is my favorite film that he's in. It's a hoot. <laughs> it's heavy, but it it's, is. But it's, it's light-hearted heavy, and I don't know how else to explain that. Basically, imagine Little Miss Sunshine, <laughs> but with a bunch more foul-mouthed hippies and <laughs> just people living off the map as opposed to you know they're living in a van but they're you know they're not here to go to a singing contest they're here to <laughs> this is how they're living and this is they gotta you know they're kind of more liberal in their thinking against a conservative household and that's what just it this is like they're totally rejected and well you could kind of compare it to little miss sunshine because then you know a family member dies so that's kind of what brings it all together so it's just like yeah it's like they, the family of the widow was basically outcast them. They're like, this is how you raise your kids. It's like, you let them curse at will and everything. It's like, yeah, because they're going to eventually anyway. It's just like, okay. <laughs> you can raise people this way. It's just not easy to do. <laughs> and the kids are so wicked smart. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like a one in a million. You can raise kids this way. It's kind of premature, but it's not necessarily wrong. And don't 
you kind of can't that's kind of where it is funny where they're at the dinner table and they are flat out just like you can't do this and i think vigo or someone else says well we don't tell you how to raise your kids and then they aren't having it they're like no no sir <laughs> it's it's definitely an interesting movie and i kind of love it um i was i'm not i wasn't homeschooled or anything like that but my uh i definitely grew up reading textbooks which sounds bizarre um because my dad was like that and just seeing this kind of i i wish i had those kids lives sometimes so in a, well in a way you kind of were smarter than the average bear because you were you weren't reading just random bullshit or bestseller lists. you were reading just some actually intellectual recorded documents and oh yeah so like and i was homeschooled one year and it was fine then i went to junior high and then i just kept going to a different uh you know, junior high until I went to high school. So, but yeah, I, I know what you mean. Where it's like, it, it could, it is kind of, it does kind of make you wonder what, what would I be like if I was in that lifestyle? So I guess that's kind of what makes it relatable for everybody. It opens up plenty of other discussion. The characters are fascinating. So, oh yeah. And it, it also makes you question, you know, is the education system even working? You know, like if we actually took the time to teach properly rather than, you know, what society has told us we should be teaching children. Kids are smarter than you think. Yeah. I mean, you know, let's I not get too so. political. Totally. And furthermore, I mean, like you say, I mean, it does kind of make you wonder, this is kind of a better of the road travel movies he's done because it, it does make you kind of want to get on that bus and just kind of follow them around and i wish i had that bus like that <laughs> bus is sweet not like those tiny homes that you see all over the internet or anything like that bus is wicked I, I... <laughs> <laughs> best bus ever <laughs> that's the bus you want a road trip on all right <laughs> all right get on the bus <laughs> all righty uh, for, furthermore i mean Catherine Hahn and steve zahn i totally believed them as the in-laws like it just totally made sense to me. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah, that, that's right. Zahn was his brother, and <laughs> or no, Han was his sister, and Zahn is like he's kind of trying to be on his level, and he's like, I just don't get this motherfucker, <laughs> <laughs> or something like that. Uh, yeah, because Zahn's his brother-in-law, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And it's just so funny because they do kind of look similar, and. They're both kind of better actors than people give them credit for, but it's like, yeah, it's like, and the director Matt Ross, who had worked on, who had acted on Silicon Valley, apparently based this off like two autobiographies, including his own. So it was like, that's interesting. <laughs> it's kind of interesting, but uh, I mean, it definitely kind of gives it that whole vibe. Is like, people can raise their kids how they want, just. As long as it breeds happiness and positivity. <laughs> and that That's get... the goal. That should be the goal. Everyone should just be happy. I mean, my folks got kind of criticized by others by not taking us to church. And it's like, well, they, they can. We just want to embrace them for how people have heated arguments and ask loaded questions. So that they kind of just braced me for that. And I was like, well, thank you. Because that is more often than not what people do. <laughs> just, they ask you a bunch of questions. Are you Christian? Are you Muslim? Like, I'm 
whoever you want me to be. <laughs> so I'm not answering the question if you want me to answer it. <laughs> oh, so I guess I should move on. Did anyone like Green Book? Oh my god, I love Green Book. Fuck the whole white savior thing. You would I hate the white it. savior thing, but yep. like <laughs> Green Book is just guys, interesting to watch. The guys said they were trying to avoid it, and I mean it's based off one of the two people's lives. And it's like, okay, so yeah, they didn't consult the other guy, but I mean they had already bought the other guy's story. Why would they need the other guy's permission? It's just I feel like people want to just quiz everybody. This is like if you get permission from one person to film their life story, that's fine. And people always act like if one other person isn't consulted, that it's an incomplete narrative. I'm like, okay, so maybe it's not as open-minded, but I mean. <laughs> and, and even then it's the movie is told from one perspective realistically. Yeah. Realistically. Yeah. It's from, it's told, it was written by this B movie producer, Nick Vol. Villalonga, who's as mainstream as he's gonna get, you know, adapting his story based on his father, Tony Lip, who you guys might know has been in some Coppola productions like The Godfather and was on Sopranos. But yeah, I mean, that was his life as a bouncer, as uh, the jazz singer, surely. And mm -hmm. knowing how, I I just don't feel like this film ever holds back. I like how, you know this echoes today's real life you know bigotry that's why it really just grew on me it's like it just showed me how you know italians try to stand out and not hang around the other guys who are being absolute pigs and then you got all those tennessee type areas or just like <laughs> everybody's just you know i've had coincidentally i had friend of a friends who were both gay and black and were stopped by someone in missouri what were they doing nothing they were just entering <laughs> Uh, part of town which wasn't as inviting so it's just like yeah you, you you still see stuff like this today and it's like uh, it's wild how they're just going town to town they they take a while to get along you know mm -hmm. bodyguard and jazz singer and i know uh, they imply that he's gay and the family wasn't keen on that but people should really know when people were closeted they were way way more secretive about it back then you know there's even plenty of actors who uh, hit it from the media, including, you know, well-known actors. he might not have actually been gay. He could have just been bisexual. That's just it, too, yeah. Yeah. Anyone knew what the hell that was. And, I mean, it's not really an LGBTQ movie, but it doesn't frown on it. It just shows, it's like, okay. They it's were all part living... of... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I, I was going to say it's a part of it. And you know what I think is interesting, because I was reading about that, it's his, it's, uh, the Shirley family are like, no, they weren't friends and all this stuff, but then there's an actual audio recording of Don Shirley from like 2009 where he's like no he was one of my good friends we weren't an employee employee or uh employer relationship it was beyond that you know and but it's like the family's like it wasn't that it wasn't that it wasn't that but you can actually find audio recordings of don shirley saying no this is what it was it's You're the right. family of don it's... shirley is like this is not <laughs> accurate at all but like it every like other yeah it sounds like the family didn't really know their kid too well did they <laughs> Right? Well, no, it's just kind of like the family wants to control the narrative. Kind of like uh, Martin Luther King's family, the one, what is her, the daughter, granddaughter's like very anti-gay and then gets upset when anybody invokes his name, you know, in connection with that, so. Yeah, I mean, and there's been plenty of other ones like this, too many to name, and it's just like, okay, there's going to be some change in the narrative, but I think 
anyone who worked with him can agree, you know, they got along. So, I mean, when I think of a white saber movie, I think it's some bullshit. Like, there's been one ones that are good, and then there's been ones that are bad. I mean, there's The Last Samurai. I'm like, no, I don't believe a white guy went to Japan and trained. It's a cool movie, but <laughs> it's better than some of the other ones where it's like the white guy is like the only one who dies, and everyone else, every other minority gets blasted away. It's like, yeah, <laughs> those movies suck. But it's like, with this one, is like, I don't think anyone especially Mahershala Ali and everyone else, I don't think they would have taken these roles if they didn't found something profound about just the real life people. And mm-hmm. I mean, he was a kick-ass singer and jazz musician. So it's like, or no, pianist. I'm, why am I saying all the wrong terminology there? But yeah, it was like, he could have sung. He had the voice for it. But yeah, it's like, uh, he knew how to play that piano just really damn well. And uh, it's just interesting just seeing how, you know, this guy became a background actor years later, but at that time was just working for very rough places being, you know, a bouncer who just, you know, ate himself basically to death. (laughs) No, it's interesting too, because, you know, they're both fish out of water, you know, both being, you know, from the North and, you know, one's a working class Italian and the other one's black and has money and is professional but that doesn't really matter when he's down in the south they just see his skin color and even you know tony the the italian guy he's looked down upon he's catholic and uh he's you know obviously a yankee and outsider so right and it just was atypical of even just you know peter farrelly who were just so used to doing slapstick you know physical gross out and it's like here he's making he made like the most atypical movie of his whole career you know (laughs) I mean, he's always had sweet intended material in his films, but it's like, man, yeah, when he did this, I mean, it just shows you how people evolve over time and choose different type of material to do, you know? Yeah, I, I wish people would go back and watch, like, Mississippi Burning, and that's a total whitewash movie where, like, you know, the uh, FBI is, you know, hunting the Klan when, in reality, back then, the FBI was turning a blind eye to the Klan and let yeah. him run amok, you know. That's oh, total, some FBI members were in the clan. Yeah, that's a perfect yeah. example of a movie that's good, but when you look up the history, it's like, yeah, but the history, you know, it's not anything like that. You know? If anything, this is the viewer's look into it, but it's not technically accurate. And so, I mean, if you want something more accurate, you might watch the Showtime movie Jasper, Texas, where they totally shows everybody just pretty much just intervening but doing the very minimum is because you know they just can't get past all the tensions between the blacks and the whites <laughs> this does a better job of being accurate to this to the historical story than something like hidden figures you know yeah, if you want to talk about a, example yeah no that's very true like, if you want to give a, an example of the white savior moment look at kevin costner and hidden figures when he tears down the the uh segregated bathroom if you actually look at the history of it, like technically, because that takes place in 1961, um, NASA had gotten rid of the segregated bathrooms in the 50s, but then apparently Kevin Costner needs to do it in the movie. Like, no, you know, ver- versus this, where it's like, I wouldn't even say Vigo really does anything other than, you know, kind of help a single character. He does. I wouldn't really even call him a white savior in this, you know, because yeah. it's not like he's solely solving racism or anything like that or like helping fix it he's just like being a normal guy yeah very true because i mean he's 
doing a lot of the typical I hate to say stereotypical kind of Italian kind of things, whereas like they're not very welcoming of anyone. There's and yet at the same time he's like, Yeah, just sit down with my friends who are also bigots, you know. <laughs> we welcome you. As long as I'm around, we'll treat you right. And so I like how it takes a while for any any of them to get comfortable around each other. <laughs> Even just the whole just well and by movies in it's like, well, I'm not sitting here. And it's like, come on, we'll be out of your hairs. Uh, whatever you're, you know, you believe this is fucking stupid that you've invited this person here and you won't let them dine here. <laughs> so, yeah. It, it is interesting how it just talks about that important stuff. Cause that's just really weird. That is the core of just one of many things of why, you know, it's mm -hmm. terrible to be racist. This is like, you, you, you can't, just break down society like that and you know after we've seen with politics lately we've gotten to the point where it's just like okay yeah some people you know we need to just ignore and other people we do have to just call them out on it because you know we, we can get past this whole cancel or not cancel we need to just flat out just say there, there comes a time where you just say hey by the way this is just wrong so just start knowing who your real friends are <laughs> and I, this is interesting too because they both kind of stop hanging out with certain friends after a while and that's that's just good progression from both a narrative perspective and just from a real life perspective it's just like it's great to just see people moving on and cutting out lesser people in their lives <laughs> and it's learning and growing too right yeah he they're, they're none of them were the same people by movies in is like yeah it's like but afterwards he's you know Lip is near the Hollywood scene and Shirley is again becoming a more recognized pianist and so it's like that that was just that's what happened but yeah it was just showing us like the road to glory was hardly anything but you know it just it, it looked like a never-ending saga of just disappointment as your disappointment so it, mm -hmm. and I do like how we don't know where the story's gonna go at first. We're just like, so how are they gonna end up on the road? Because they both can't stand to be around each other at all. <laughs> yeah, but I think some of the critics are just a little too overly harsh. It's a drama, you know, biopic. It's it's not a documentary. There are a couple yeah. historical errors, but for the most part, they capture the feel. Uh, the only one thing that really stood out to me was like the sundown town moment where they got pulled over. The sundown towns were more of a north and a west yeah. thing than the south because they already had jim crow laws and segregated communities so th that's the one thing that stood out to me as somebody who grew up down south but other than that i think they captured the feel and there's minor you know different uh with the phone calls like they didn't directly call jfk but they called people who were close to him who said you know yeah and that's just for dramatic purposes and he you got to give them that dramatic license to let the narrative of the story flow. Because as Tony mentioned there earlier, it's like they, do, they don't really get the decade wrong with this like they do with other movies. Like the Hidden Figures one is almost as insulting as uh, Bill the Butcher in Gangs of New York actually died years before the events in this movie. You know? <laughs> it was like pretty big plot hole. It was like, especially with Hidden Figures, where it's like uh, the white guy had nothing to do with, you know, uh, desegregating ba bathrooms that yeah was... the black gals kept going there until the white people stopped complaining <laughs> like it, it's like one of those things where technically and again on the hidden figures one I, I recently did a bunch of reading on it like 
uh, NASA, because it was a federally funded program and NASA uh, was being funded that way, they actually couldn't, when building, make the segregated bathrooms. They just didn't oh, do it. Really? It didn't exist. Wow. <laughs> that either that or it was destroyed and not documented i guess i don't know and like don't get me wrong like there's documentation that there were some people who complained that there weren't segregated bathrooms but then it was like well you're in a federal building we have to follow federal law not state law right and it, and it's definitely one of those i mean you got to give any production designer credit for trying to both recreate the era and follow the creative sides you know take mm-hmm. on the narrative and like you say it, it doesn't matter how long you work on something eventually there's always going to be just some part of it is like uh that didn't happen at all and like you kind of get that with uh i think what was it the butler it's like it's a well-acted movie and it's also a very miscast movie it's like alan rickman as ronald reagan who the fuck thought that was a good <laughs> idea it's like i love alan rickman he's not ronald reagan <laughs> it was like it's not even they, close not even remotely. And then you get just some, I mean, James Marsden was an okay JFK, but then you get Robin Williams and John Cusack just giving very awkward performances. So it's like with miscasting and then you get like parts of the history, like the Butler's wife actually died in her sleep, not like at the dinner table. It's like, okay, but that's a minor thing versus like you say, a big decade difference and a white person doing it when they didn't have shit to do with it. So it's like, yeah. And yeah, I I think this movie is way more groundbreaking than anyone likes to actually give it credit for. A lot of people liked it, but they acted like it was only because of the acting. And it's like, okay. So if you do a little more research it is way more than what the tabloids are making it out to be. And I mean, AFI even said it was the top 10 films of the year. So, I mean, that says something because I mean, it's echoing a lot, I guess, of what, differences were the gray area of reality that we're kind of getting now that's why i really just got from it it's like okay so you know because you'll you're always going to encounter someone bigoted in your life you're like you know some people blow it off and say oh i better better not hear you say anything fucked up like that at the dinner table and other people say well i better cut you out of my life and then other people are like well it's kind of hard to cut this person out of my life because they're part of my family or you know some other shit so this sets us up for Vigo's latest movie, Falling, where he plays a gay man with a very homophobic dickhead dad, played by his Appaloosa co-star Lance Hendrickson. Uh, it's not he doesn't just star in this; he wrote and directed this one. Right, right. And Cronenberg guest stars as like a doctor in one scene. I like how he works with Laura Lenny as his sister here. It, it's a hell of a movie. And Terry Chin, who's currently on Men and Little Things, and who's been on other awesome movies like Continuum and Battlestar Galactica and Combat Hospital. He's just been... You might have even seen him in War with Jet Li and Jason Statham. He's one of those go-to Canadian actors. He does a really good part here as Vigo's, you know, husband in this. And I think, much like Green Book, a lot of people are just going to relate to just... How how do you bring up just hard-to-talk-about topics when, you know, your father is you know, blinded by his old school politics and, you know, he's both a bigot and he's suffering from dementia and it's a really sad movie, but it's Vigo does kind of an atypical thing. You can tell, I admire him for, again, just doing the music and like you say, the writing and producing and directing because you could tell he was ready, you know, He, Mm -hmm. he talks like an actor. And so 
he also knows what's expected of the film set and finishing on time. And like you say, he definitely had enough money to burn and have this be a festival winner. So, I mean, uh, yeah. Anyone else has seen it, please weigh in. I, no, I think it's solid, but like Green Book, a couple people were being overly harsh about it, you know, because he, he plays a gay character and he's not, uh, you know, gay in real life. But I think that's kind of a silly, silly criticism, you know. Right. If they, I, if you have gay friends or have done research, you should be able to play a person. It's not the same as, say, you know, a black person playing a Puerto Rican guy or a white guy playing an Asian person is like, no, not, e- not even anywhere in the same boat. This is, you know, we've all had gay friends or family members at some point, And it's like, you can do some pretty basic research. No one in this is going, hi, fellas. You know, it's like, no one here in this is being flamboyant. They're just being very reserved, like a more mature. And no, just, I, he happens I thought... to be gay by sexuality preference, not by like, cultural pop culture version of gay you know <laughs> yeah and i'm all for having more gay characters and gay actors in film that that doesn't bother me but i think people need to be realistic too because this was a, a small film and if he wouldn't have starred in it maybe he wouldn't have been able to get the funding to make this so right. mm-hmm. for him to make it into such a solid film it's well cast um i think there i remember a scene that the dad's watching uh, old old western. I think it's Red River. Yeah. Um, there's uh, there's you know a lot of nice nice stuff in here. Good message. Good casting. I, I think it's solid, and more people should see it. Give it a chance. I think Lance Hendrickson totally should get a Golden Globe for this because I mean that could not have been easy to play just a man who at his center thinks he's a nice gentle giant and really is just a monster. You know, at every family gathering. You know, and. We've all had instances before, like just embarrassing moments in real life where it's like, oh, I kind of don't want to hang out with that person. Or, oh, I was really they were really immature. or I was really immature at that time. And, you know, it's like it it breaks even just the molding, you know, because they're not a dysfunctional family. It's just, you know, it's more uh, he and uh, sister Laura Lenny are both like, well, (laughs) let's see what we can do to try and make this work until it's just time, you know, to put him to rest you know yeah it's it's a it's an interesting movie i kind of like in what vigo has been doing in the last couple years um and i I know i made a comment about like he's obviously picking his roles a little bit better uh or with more intent in the last like later years but it's like this film i i think he only started it because it was easier for funding you know, and it's yep. definitely one of those movies where it's like he made this movie not to be a box office hitter. He made it because he wanted to obviously get the story out and he wanted to make it. It was not... an authentic story versus this is going to be a box office draw. And like yeah. you say, I mean, he's probably what I really dig about what he's picking, because we all have actors who we follow and we try and see everything they're in. And every once in a while we'll get to a movie is like, well, how often have you like rented or bought something and then you watch the special feature and it's more interesting than the movie is like, well, I didn't get the movie. I kind of get it now that I saw the special feature and why they're in it, but it didn't come across on screen too well. And this, I feel like everything he does really does come across on screen because even if you don't like it, it's like, but he was perfect for the role or the narrative was there. And now it's just a matter of preference of whether we like it or not. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
yeah, I felt it was a heart help, heartfelt uh, production on his uh, part. You know, he could have probably cast another actor in the role, uh, but like you said, you, you know, he probably needed that for the funding. And it's not a van. You, if you watch it, you can see it's not a vanity. He's not showing off. No, no, it's, he's yeah. It's it's a real genuine heartfelt uh, story that he wrote and he thought through, and he had the skill to pull off. You know. Yeah, anyone else in his position probably might have done modeling or even been a stuntman, and you know he's pretty athletic, but he, you know, he he's just an artist, just like in real life. So, singing or with painting is like same here on screen. He acts to act, not to. I mean, he didn't even do it for awards, and so when he got awards, that was just kind of an interesting interview that I saw him on. And I mean, socially, he definitely, you know, is pretty good. Apparently, I just like picking legit charities as opposed to the ones that have a infamous reputation and not you know staying true to their word and politically it's been interesting how he's been a pretty soft-spoken about being a green party candidate because he's just you know he's one of those where he's just like you got to cut through the hypocrisy of politics even and just stand for what you believe there too and it's like i think that comes across also well on screen with a lot of his roles is like he can play he he never really even plays politically correct. He plays either gentle or mean or in between. And he does it all always natural. And so that's kind of where I just kind of want to end things here. <laughs> but yeah. Any other closing thoughts you guys want to add off? I'm down. <laughs> None. None. <laughs> no, I no. think we've pretty much covered it. I, I'm just excited. I heard he's yeah. filmi- filming a project with Cronenberg in Greece. Oh, nice. Uh, Crimes of the Future or something, I think it's called. Is it like actual, like, like a straightforward, atypical mystery movie, or is it a uh, sci-fi it's movie? supposed to have some sort of sci-fi element, but I don't think it's like a hard sci-fi thing. So, like I said, I'm a big Cronenberg fan, a big Vigo fan, so I'm going to check it out. And then the other day, somebody told me he's filming uh, something about uh, the Unabomber. Oh, uh, uh, so I'm I'm not right. sure what role he plays in that movie, but it's supposed to be something about the uh, tracking down the Unabomber Ted Kaczynski, which uh, is I mean, interesting after all these years. They did an interesting miniseries on it, so it'd be interesting to see what they do on that take. You know, will it be similar Cat and Mouse, or will it be a similar psychological kind of movie? It well, will work I'm, either way, because. I'm assuming it's going to be a little bit more thoughtful than some of the, you know, other movies like about terrorism that did just degenerate into action movies or very simplistic, moralistic tales, you know, because yeah. he's involved, you know, he's kind of choosy. So I think it'll probably be a, a well-written script. Right. Because, I mean, the Unabomber thing really just worked good because it was a miniseries thing and it wasn't. It was just showing how the investigator and the bomber weren't all that far apart. They were both kind of rejected by their peers. <laughs> and so it kind of made sense why one was able to find the other and why the other got to point A from point B. And so, I mean, he could own either role if he wants to play the abnormally smart guy, uh, you know, the uh, authority figure, or if he wants to play the Unabomber. I do know he's attached to the real life survival movie with Ron Howard called 13 lives. And he's going to star in that with Colin Farrell and Joel Edgerton. So 
They were trapped in a period for 18 days and Tom Lung. So that'll be interesting. But yeah, it was a junior football team and a coach trapped. So, okay. That happened in 2018. So yeah, it will shoot in Thailand. So nice. Uh, other than that, uh, Tony, where can we find you on the web? Uh, I'm on all the social medias uh, at FlixXRaid. You can also find me on all your favorite podcasting uh, apps, you know, Podcast Addicts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Shit, yeah. Chris, what are you doing on social media? Uh, <laughs> you guys can usually find me hanging around the PsyOps group or uh, over at uh, Dread Media on Earth2.net. Nice. Um, so, yeah, check those out if you guys haven't checked those out already. Oh, yeah, I love Dread. <laughs> Dread Media. And then, Daniel, what would you like to promote? As always, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. The Nightmare Nerd is there. Everywhere. <laughs> Reviewing beer and crazy movies. Always. <laughs> All right. Thank you all bunches. This was too much fun to do. It was an interesting topic. Thanks. Thanks for yeah. having us. Thanks Absolutely. for having us. Have a good Everyone. night. Everyone be safe out there. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try? They must be destroyed on sight. The new podcast cure-all, sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy. African consumption, black beamer, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag, and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah, tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, please. Yeah, yes. I am the master storyteller yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers. Yes. The Google Play. Yes. Apple Podcasts. What else? Podbean. What else? Podcast Addict. Goddamn. All that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere. Worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucker.
Getting hostile. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah. We gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want us here to say. Ah. 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 <laughs> good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> you. <laughs> no, don't, don't run the listeners away, PJ. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. And while Witch didn't make it to the top of the world, he did make the Gangs of Hollywood podcast. So join the gang and enjoy a movie review podcast about movie gangs, gangsters, mobsters, and the mayhem they cause. You can find GOH Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GOHpod at www.gohpod.com as well as your favorite podcast listening app. And remember, say hello to your little friend for me. If you take two old punk rockers who are past their prime, put them in front of a movie screen and give them a podcast, what do you get? Cinema punks. Cinepunks. It's the mixtape of movies. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked. Prudes. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get out of it. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this, like, little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey. And I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get.
It's late, it's time, let's check our cue, baby. Pair it with a couple brews, baby. We love good movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies With a one last plot holes a gratuitous It's time to get busy at eilfm.podbean.com Welcome to Who Was She podcast. I am your host, Tara Jabari. After a decade working in documentaries, marketing, and all things digital media, I found that podcasting is a strong medium to share stories. After years of producing for others, I decided to start my own biographical podcast. Who Was She will focus on the life of a woman throughout Baha'i history. The first season is about Lydia Zeminoff. Lydia's story explores the subjects of the power of language and faith. Her father invented the universal language Esperanto, and she came from a Jewish family and became a Baha'i. She grew up during World War I and was killed during World War II in a concentration camp, despite heroic efforts to save her life. How can one person's life intersect with so many others, connect across borders, and inspire a biography which inspired this podcast? Over the next few weeks, I will share her story with you and the lives that were most affected by her and those who affected her life as well. They include her father, Ludwig Semenov, her spiritual mother, American journalist Martha Root, and the Baha'i German soldier, Fritz Mako, who worked for the resistance undercover while having to serve the Nazi party. I want to thank the author, Wendy Heller, and George Ronald Publishing for their blessing to let me use Heller's biography, Lydia, The Life of Lydia Zeminoff, Daughter of Esperanto, as a main and instrumental resource for this podcast. So please subscribe and learn about this amazing woman who traveled through three continents in an effort to bring unity through the power of language. You can also find more information on our Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Who Was She Podcast. Music was composed and performed by Sam Red. I am your host, Tara Jabari. Join us next time as we begin our journey about Lydia Zeminoff. Hi, everybody. It's Mac Jackson. I wanted to invite you to a new site called the Forever Adventure Network. This website has everything. Pictures, videos, blogs. There's original music by Harmony Constant two podcasts one is the macgyver podcast where we celebrate richard dean anderson his iconic roles and how it's influenced our lives there's episode discussions interviews and life conversations the second podcast is the never gets old podcast where we celebrate all the best things that we love in life from tv movies music 
and comics. The site is also the home for the MacGyver SG-1 audio series, an ongoing adventure series that continues the adventures of MacGyver and SG-1. There are also multiple stores to choose from for all of your pop culture and adventure needs. Come on by and check us out today. And thanks for joining the adventure. Are you sick of the same old stale podcasts? Well then join Vanessa and Darren as they dissect movies of all kinds. The two lifelong cinema lovers bring their favorites, curiosities, and first-time watches to the operating table and inject them with a healthy dose of snark. Then there's the waiting room, where they examine books and short stories. So just look for them on Apple Podcasts and where fine podcasts are available. They're part of the Legion Podcast Network. Follow them on Twitter at VD Clinic Pod. Join them on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash VD Clinic Pod. Or email them at VD Clinic Pod at gmail.com. They're ready to cure what ails you. <laughs> and still, they just might be a little contagious. Hi there. It's Heather from the Watching Netflix Without You podcast. Did you know that there are over 1,200 Netflix original feature films and documentaries? And that number is only growing. So I've made it my mission to watch as many as I possibly can. Then, with a delightful guest or guests, disclaimer, more often than not my brother, Ryan, we spend an episode rating, reviewing, and discussing a film at length. The first half of every episode is spoiler-free for those who haven't seen it yet, and in the second half, after a very clear spoiler warning, we dive into it. And that's really about it. You can listen to Watching Netflix Without You on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. We now continue with our program. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up review show.